And welcome into the Rinkwise podcast, presented by New England Hockey Journal. I am Evan Marinovsky, and today I am joined, as always, by Pat Donnelly. What's up, Pat? Remote. What's going on? To you from another much. We're coming. We're doing this remote again. We are, as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm in a rink. Clearly, I'm in a. There's a lot. There's a game going on behind me. Oh, and puck just went over my head. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy back here. But uh, no, we're we're both in our respective rooms and our in our offices, so to speak. Um, how have you been? How, how have the games been? How have the have you been getting used to the cold and all these rinks? Yeah, I had in like all my years playing hockey and like going to games with friends and family and all that. Like I had never been to Ed Burns Arena in Arlington, and we'll we'll get to the the actual games later. But sneaky underdog for coldest rink in the state. I was very cold on Sunday. But other than that, like, I'm used to it by now. It's just when you get to the really cold rinks like that where you're like, man, like, I thought I was better than this. That's the thing. And Arlington is pretty cold. I always mention, like, Mount St. Charles is so cold. And it's a reminder. To, like, I remember Paul Pearl, the Cushing head coach. We were at a, I was, this was last fall like of 2022 and mm-hmm. we were at a game together in Watertown and it was a cold rink, the daily rink. I think it was. Yep. And uh, anyway, he ran out to his car to get another sweatshirt. And he's like, I always have multiple sweatshirts in my car in case a rink is colder than I remember. And I'm like, that is such a great idea. Yep. So in my back seat, I've got my big coat. I've got like two sweatshirts. I got a pair of gloves. I got a hat. So I'm like, if I ever show up somewhere and it's colder than I thought, I'm ready. So yep. perfect. Yeah. So you got to do that. You got to adopt that. I think that's what you got to do. You got to, yeah, you got to have like I'm, a wardrobe in the back. I'm usually there. I like just kind of keep a hat and gloves like in the glove box, just as the fail safe, especially like if you don't have time to warm up the car in the morning, but didn't think of those when I was sitting there at Ed Burns the other day, but well, I'll, I'll bring the extra layers next time. Well, I remember Kirk Ludicky, uh was telling me that, because when he's out in the Midwest doing USHL stuff, you're on a lot of roads that there aren't. There's not a lot of round. Yeah. I, I'm. I sound like such a Bostonian mentioned talking about the Midwest. Like, oh, it's like way out, way out there. There's nothing there. But in a lot of areas, that is the case. And I remember him mentioning because of his days in the military, he has like so many different things in his car in case of multiple emergencies. And he's like, you should have that in mind when you're driving around New England. And I'm like, I've got my clothes. I got like a water bottle. I have a pack of gum. I'm good with that. So hopefully yeah. I don't need I don't need any more than that. But anyways, you mentioned it. The Ed Burns tournament started last Sunday. First round, it was in Arlington, the first eight seeds, and then the next eight seeds were at Canton Ice House. Lots of upsets. I think upsets was the name of the game in the first round. There were I mean, I think six of the eight games were upset wins. Cause Norwood beat Weymouth. That's a six beating a three. Number eight Walpole beat number one Wellesley. That was over in Canton. And then at, at, at in Arlington, it was three of the four. The only non-upset was number two, Tewksbury, beating at number seven, Winchester. And we split the day in Arlington. So you did the first two games. I did the next two games. You would have been an icicle but if you had to go four straight. I, I yeah. four, you know, would have been, you would have been like icicles coming out of your nose. Your hands would have been frozen together. So we, we, had, to, we had to make sure we were ready for that. Yeah, I mean, I'm only I'm only living ten minutes away. I could have made some some measures to sneak out between games. This is true. Yes, yeah, it was good for you. It's like when when games were at Warrior for me. It's like oh, yep. it's like down the street. Anyway, so you saw who did you see? You saw Franklin Hingham 
and Redding Canton. Uh, mm-hmm. Franklin beating Hingham is one of the biggest upsets of the season across the bo- boys on my landscape. What did you think of that game? And then what did you think of Redding and Canton? Yeah. So Franklin and Hingham, I thought like early too, it could have gotten really out of hand for Hingham. They jump out to early lead on the power play. They double it later, or it might've been flip-flopped second goals on the power play. Either way, quick 2-0 lead early. Franklin's getting into some penalty trouble. Calls can go here or there. We're not going to sit here and, and deliberate those. But this isn't BU know, Northeastern, yeah, or BUBC. Um, right. But yeah, the hockey East refs are like specialization. It's a whole nother thing. But Hingham or Franklin, they kill off one of the penalties. They're kind of getting to their game, and then big breakaway goal from. Um, let me find his name here. Zach Langevin, um, big burst of speed down the ice, wins a fifty-fifty puck. Breaks, breaks in for a breakaway, perfect shot inside the post. And you can kind of feel the energy just shift for Franklin. Felt like, all right, we're settled in. We got this. And then they tie it up. Then next thing, it's just off and running for Franklin's first line. I think that was really the story of the game. Because obviously Hingham has a ton of top talent. And I thought they overwhelmed Franklin early, especially like on the four check and just kind of the pace, straight line and transition. But... I think once Franklin got to its game, especially its first line, a couple guys in their second line, especially the first line, Anthony Lampasona, Ben Patterson, and McAvoy is his last name. I don't have the first. Dylan McAvoy, I'm sorry. It's not Charlie. Uh, we know that. That's the one yeah, thing. It's not yeah, Charlie. McAvoy, McAvoy with an E, not an A. But, you know, they, I think, combined for like five goals. Ben Patterson had a goal, two assists. McAvoy and Lampasona each had two goals. They just flat out dominated from around like the second period on. And I thought they took over the game. Franklin just had flurry of goals in the second period. Everything seemed to go in. They were doing a lot in transition. They are really creative with the puck, too. So I was really impressed with that. And then, like, looking at Canton and Redding, it was a little bit of the same story. I thought Canton was much better in the first period, and Chris Hannafin was just awesome for Redding all game, but especially with Canton kind of throwing every wasn't like a ton of grade A, but, you know, they're throwing everything on. They're kind of dominating zone time. Redding was having a lot of trouble coming out of their zone. Um, Hannafin was nails and you get a big goal in the second from, well, Cam Fay, he had the game winner. And then in the second you had, um, Leon Hansen with a shorthanded goal, just strip the puck, break in. It was like a two on O inside the left post. And then in the third, it was sort of the same deal. Redding was really opportunistic. You know, that that's what good teams do. Cause Fay, he again, stripped the puck at the red line, break in all alone. It was like kind of all in slow motion too, trying to reach around the goalie, sneak it inside the back post, hits the post, but then it tumbles in as Redding as Canton's scrambling to get back. So it was really emotional upset win. I thought Chris Hannafin was awesome all day. Like we said, really could did a good job controlling rebounds too, especially because you could tell Canton was shooting a lot for rebounds, especially in trans- transition. He didn't give up a whole lot. So yeah. And you know what's interesting? So my biggest takeaway from the first round of this, so I... Prior to doing this podcast, I was putting together my MIAA uh, Division One Boys Top 10, and I haven't quite finished it yet, and I was really mulling over Franklin. I don't think they're going to be in the Top 10 quite yet. Going to need to see a teeny bit more. But to me, the big takeaway from, from the first round, at least in Arlington, was that Franklin is going to be one of those sleeper teams that we look at come the tournament. Uh, yeah. They might not be a Top 10 seed. They might be an 11. They might be a 12, a 13, whatever it is. But that's a team that I think people should have circled as, hmm, they could make some noise. Reading was yep. that team last year. Reading was the 14 seed. Took a lot of people by surprise. 
couple upsets along the way, almost went to the Garden. And I think Franklin could be that this year if if Sunday's any indication of it. So that was my big takeaway. And again, yeah. we always say it like anybody can beat anybody in the MIAA, especially in Division One boys. I think it really is kind of a toss up a lot of years. And St. John's Prep, I think, is clearly the number the number one team, although CM did beat them in overtime on Wednesday night. Not enough to surpass St. John's Prep, but it's enough for CM to move up my rankings quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we're always looking at what are those, who's the public schools? Because we always expect like the BC highs of the world to make a, a strong push. St. Mary's of Lynn. Those are teams that face a lot of tough teams. And But the publics, I think, is the real, that's what we're always looking at. Like who's going to be the team that goes deep? And I think Franklin could potentially be that this year. Now, Reading could do that, but we, we kind of have high expectations for Reading anyway. Arlington, which we'll get to in a second. Marshfield, of course. Um, Tewksbury's obviously in Division Two. They're really good. They, they lost. I think they beat Conquer Carlisle on Wednesday night, and Conquer Carlisle was undefeated, which is a pretty big win for Tewksbury. But I think Franklin is moving their way into the conversation of, okay, these public schools could do some damage come the tournament. So I saw Marshfield and yeah. yeah, I saw Marshfield and oh. Arlington. Oh no, continue. what were you going to say about Franklin? I was just going to say especially just like the offensive talent that Franklin has. We mentioned the first line, but even like Dan Daly, who's a QMJHL prospect, is on their second line. That's right. I forgot um, about that. Yeah, I thought he was pretty good too. Like obviously didn't come through on the score sheet the way the other guys did, but just sort of the depth in that top 6 that Franklin has. And then on the flip side you have Reading who we talk all the time about how in the MIA tournament, especially who has the goalie and mm. boy, do they have the goalie with Chris Hannafin. Yeah. I think that to me, that's the difference maker with Reading. I think that's why you can almost pencil them in for at least a six, a sweet 16 berth, potentially elite eight. Again, they can go further. I'm just saying like what you should realistically expect. Yeah. What do you think of Franklin in net? Cause you mentioned the offense. Um, I'm curious what you thought of them in net. And in their own yeah, team. it was it was hard to gauge. Um, um, Connor, I thought he got better as the game went on, but I thought it was one of those sort of offensive shootouts where it's like like nobody's saving a whole lot on either side. It's who's yeah. just gonna fill it more. But I did think Hingham had a late push. They got two late goals. The the slap shot goal from I think it was Alec Javik. Um, it's one you'd like O'Connor to have. Um, it's obviously a heavy shot, close range, but you know he didn't seem like he was screened. You'd want him to have it. And then Re- Canton's Pingham's uh, fourth goal. I'm sorry, I can't remember who scored it, but it was it was a beautiful shot. So I thought the second, the first goal was tough, but I think like especially down the stretch, he made the saves he needed to make. Hingham didn't really get back in it, especially after Franklin kind of opened up a bigger lead. So I thought O'Connor was fine. But it was more, I thought, obviously, like we said, the story of the game was just about the offense on both sides. Yeah, you got lucky with that game because that was a high flying offensive affair. My two games were not. Marshfield beat Arlington 1 0. It was a third period goal. And then Tewksbury beat Winchester 3 0. Winchester's an interesting team. They're very young, but, you know, they fought against Tewksbury. Tewksbury controlled most of the game. Uh, Tewksbury's obviously one of the top teams in Division Two. So, I mean, again, it's not a real surprise that Tewksbury won that game, but Winchester held their own. That I think they had their goaltender was outstanding. I got to find his name because he was really strong. You know, it was Aiden Emmerich, really good game. I think the score would have been a lot more had he not played as well as he did. So that was my one Winchester player, I thought, who at least in the back end was 
really, really good. Um, Tewksbury, a lot of returning guys from last year. So they're sort of fortunate in that sense. And again, I think they're well-equipped to go very deep in the tournament. As for Marshfield and Arlington, those are kind of two of the most intriguing publics in Division One. are both always there. So, I mean, it's not really a surprise. Arlington's very young. And every time I see Arlington play, it's always low scoring because they just are so structured and they shut things down quickly. And again, even with young players, I think that's the really interesting part is like, they have some kids with skill. JP Missouri, who's John Missouri's son, I think he's like 5'4", at least that's what he's listed as. Very small, but can just make plays and he's got good hands. And obviously we've mentioned like Evan Jones a bunch of times. And yep. they have they have some guys who are young, but are skilled. And it's like, if they're doing this now, what are they going to look like two, three years down the road if they can keep the band together? So Arlington's a really interesting team. In that regard, and again, if you're going to win a lot of tournament games, you have to be very, very, very structured. And I think they they have it. And also the other one other person, Ryan Martin in net, really intriguing prospect, did his job. Marshfield, I think, got more big chances in this game. I think that Marshfield's a little more beefed up up front, and Martin was right up to the ta- right up to the task. Arlington, though, did almost win the game. So I was sitting with um, Tom Mullerin of the Boston Herald, mm-hmm. and Tom always will sometimes try to video plays and try to get goals on camera and stuff like that. And so he's videoing the last, like, sequence because Arlington is just, like, hemmed Marshfield in. Marshfield's kind of scrambling. Arlington's calmly moving the puck around, trying to get shots on net. And anyway, the puck kind of leaves the zone. So Tom stops recording. And it's still six seconds left. It's like, oh, it must be done. And somehow Arlington got back in, and I forget who it was, fluttered the puck to the front of the net, and I forget who it was in front of the net, but just put it, like, right past the net. It almost went in with, yeah. like, would have been a buzzer beater. Would have been crazy. And I was like, Tom, did you get that? And he was looking down because he was, like, finishing his recording. He's like, no, what happened? And I'm like, my God, <laughs> it's just the craziest thing I've ever seen. So I wish I could have rewatched it, but he unfortunately stopped recording. But – Great ending. Uh, Marshfield's another team that, to me, again, like, they have big guns up front. Tommy Carroll, Cam McKedrick are the two big ones to me. They're on different lines. They drive play. They make things happen. And to me, those are two kids who I think are going to have big tournaments when when the time comes. So, again, to me, Marshfield and Arlington are clear top 10 teams. And, like, would it shock me if they beat one of the top teams at some point along the way in the tournament? No, it wouldn't. Because I think Marshfield can outscore teams. And I think Arlington can kind of make teams play two to one, one nothing games. I mean, I know they lost one nothing on Sunday, but they could have easily won that game. They usually do. So to me, again, my takeaway was I think, you know, Franklin, Marshfield, Arlington, Reading have these little things that can put them over the top of better teams come the tournament. Yeah, definitely. So that was the Ed Burns. And then Sunday, so Sunday, February 4th is sort of the semifinals. Uh, Tewksbury plays Marshfield at Bentley and Waltham. And then Redding plays Franklin at Bentley as well right after. And then over in the Bryn, Belmont plays Walpole and Braintree plays Norwood at Rodman in, in Walpole. So Rodman is quite a big rink. There's, I think there's two rinks there. One's an NHL size. I think one might be an Olympic sheet. Yep. So it's a good little rank out there so that's the miaa uh the other thing that i wanted to mention was just cm cm's been hot i know they were they were kind of cold for a little bit 
but they, they've continued to to push. They beat St. John's Prep, which is a huge win on, on Wednesday night. So good for them. Moving on up. Moving on up in the standings. Oh. Girls Prep, you were at Deerfield Andover last week. First of all, you got some sick photos. Oh, Andover's, Andover has those great unis. They're sort of like Maine. Yeah, like uh, Maine, it, Franklin, Andover. They're just like the best color combo you can get, I think. I just, to me, like, when it comes to unis and sweaters and colors and all that stuff, like, the that shade of blue is, so all, is such a winner. I mean, you look yep. at, like, the the blue J- the Toronto Blue Jays and the MLB have kind of some alternates like that. The Kansas City yep. Royals have the baby blues. Even like, when the Phillies break out the maroon and the powder blue. It's so yes. good. Oh, my God. And, and like, I, I, I don't want to say I wish more teams did that because I like it to be unique. But yeah. it is nice when you see it in photos. It's like, man looks good maybe at some point we'll do a new england hockey journal rebrand where we make like for one day we make the the dark blue like a powder blue and we'll see what people think but anyways what did you think of that game and and what have you thought of the girls prep landscape in general yeah so i was really happy i was able to make it out here because it was a phenomenal game just the pace was especially in the first period it was like just a blink and you'll miss it type of first period and it was huge test obviously for both teams both teams are in the top five going into the game Andover's really been like they had that kind of two or three week just slump, but they've snapped out of it. Andover's obviously been wire to wire, like one of the better teams in prep this season. So I was really interested interested to see them for the first time. I'll I'll take another one of these games in March in the tournament because it was that good. Like Deerfield jumped out two nothing early. It was the first goal was tough. It was shorthanded two on one. Um, Annie Dingus, again, I'm sorry if I'm butchering her last name. It's a tough Um, last name, but it's a good one. Yeah. Two-on-one with Gia Thompson. The pass never really makes it through, but, you know, puck flutters in the air. Thompson's in the mix for it. Andover's working to get back, and Peyton Kennedy from Andover just bats it out of the air, and it tumbles into the net. Really, really bad luck own goal to start things off. And then on a power play, Sophie Frost had a had a great shot to pick the top left corner to make it two nothing biggest takeaway from like Deerfield's power play was just how quickly they move the puck like obviously everybody's like oh we want to snap it around quickly never like hold on to it for more than you need to blah 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 but I thought it was really noticeable how quickly they were moving it around especially the umbrella and all that but got especially early on when I don't think Andover was really prepared for that it really got them kind of out of sorts opened frost on the left side or the right side for a pretty wide open shot but, I mean, so Andover, last time I saw them, Caroline and Maggie Averill and Molly Boyle were with Team USA at the U18 World Championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was really excited to see them for the first time. And, like, you know, what I'm about to say on each three players, anyone who's, like, been plugged in is like, yeah, whatever. Like, we've known this. But, obviously, this is my first time getting to see them. And they, exactly. were, fanta- they were fantastic. Caroline Averill, there were just some moments where it was just sort of like Harlem Globetrotters out there for her. You texted um, me that. I was like, that's a great analogy. Yeah. So, I mean, so I talk about the pace of the game, but it seemed like every time Caroline Averill had the puck, everything just slowed down and she just completely dictated the pace, um, you know, carried over the over the blue line, stops and starts, changing directions constantly, or even just curling back and going on a tour of the offensive zone to find a better option. Kind of like, especially... Andover as a whole got better as the game went on, obviously, since they won three of two after falling down. But it just seemed like she became so much more of a factor when it mattered most and just dictated the play so much. And she had a goal in the second to, I believe, tie it. 
yeah, Lily McInerney had a redirect in the first to cut it and get Andover on the board, but she tied it kind of on like, it was a weird sequence just because it was like Andover's at the end of a long shift and like you could just easily dump it in and go change, but she just kind of leads the rush herself. Rest of Andover's changing, really no one to pass to. So it's like, she's going to shoot it the whole way. Perfect top left shot, top left corner, cross her body, cross the goalie, like it was nothing and just an effortless release. And then Maggie Averill, you can really see just the potential here. Five foot eleven as a freshman, as a, as an O nine or O eight, she is. There's a, there's a, a ton of potential here with her size, her reach, really just smooth on the breakout. I thought she made some really good stretch passes. And at the beginning of the season, when she scored her first goal, I sent you the video, and we were just laughing about it. But her shot from the point, especially on the power play, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, uh, really mm-hmm. awesome release on quick snapshots. Obviously, a really heavy one timer. And then Molly Boyle, I thought the biggest thing that stood out was just her smarts. It's always in the right place, kind of knowing when to pick her spots and like be a little physical and push the envelope a little bit and just really just smooth on the breakout. A lot of head manning it herself, good first passes, all that. And then I thought just as I wrap, I'll I'll wrap it up here. Like, you know, Avery Roadheffer was, I thought, way better than the last time I saw her against St. Paul's when Andover lost. I thought she had a really good game especially late when Deerfield was sort of getting to a push in the third period. And I thought like the biggest thing overall that stood out for me was just how deep Andover is, especially with all three of these players back. Everything just seems settled into place. Everybody's in comfortable spots in the lineup. Shea Frida, Peyton Kennedy, Sarah Powers, Emily Mara, sort of those secondary contributors for Andover can kind of just go to work and be their foot soldiers that they usually are rather than having to carry the mail the whole time. And obviously Andover had Annie Dean just didn't find the back of the net, but obviously she's the one kind of pushing the pace constantly for Deerfield. So I thought the one of the bigger things was just how deep Andover is with everybody in their proper place. And I think they're getting hot at the right time because getting Aver- the Averill sisters and Molly Boyle back, I think is so big for them. So I think they're going to continue to climb your rankings. I just think they're too good. I think they're too good not to. And I know yeah. they've stumbled at times this year. But again, that was without those without those three. So I agree with you. In terms of the last month, I know we both kind of ran stories on this. In terms of the, the final month of the season or going into the final month, is there anything in your top 10, aside from Andover, that is surprising you or that you think might change? So I would say one thing I would I definitely want to keep an eye on is just sort of where Westminster's at. They had, I think they dropped three in a row, tumbled quite a bit. So it's, all right, like, it was all tough games too. It was Williston, it was Tabor, it was Loomis. And so, like, I guess quality losses, but at the same time, if you want to be in that mix come March, it's teams you want to take a win from, like, go one and two or something like that. Tabor's kind of fallen off, fell off within the last month, but big win over Westminster. They kind of had a good week last week, and they worked their way back in. But I would say just sort of the biggest thing like is in that second tier of the rankings because obviously Nobles and Williston are the clear top two. Mm-hmm. And then the the next tier has sort of separated itself over the last few weeks. Loomis, Phillips, Andover, and Deerfield. And then you get into the rest of it where Choate lost to Kent. Kent, had, Kent lost three in a row, but now they had a big week last week. Beat Taft, beat Choate, so now they're right back in it. Groton's been just steady going right along. They've just been hanging around the bottom of the top 10. And then you look at the rest of it, everybody kind of on the outside looking in. You have Tabor. Can they work their way back into that upper tier? 
Thayer has been having a really good run, especially getting Morgan McGathy back. She's been on an absolute tear since getting back from the U18s. And then New Hampton's still been hanging around. So the biggest things to watch, I think, is just especially the teams that have really tough schedules going forward, especially like I think Deerfield just off off memory has a tough schedule. Andover has one of the toughest schedules over the final over the final month. So not only are they clicking at the right time and getting the players back at the right time, but it's that much more important when you look at their schedule the rest of the way. And I think the only other team to keep an eye on it's it's just this this kind of low like third tier grouping in our top ten, St. Paul's. A lot of these teams that have had inconsistencies and are better than they've probably shown over the last week and week or two, three weeks. And a lot of it's probably dog days of the season. It's mm-hmm. hard to get up for a Wednesday game against insert team here. Yeah. In third week of January. So I bet that's a huge factor. So a lot my biggest thing was just how that sort of lower tier of the top 10 shakes out the rest of the way. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm interested to see what happens with that, especially what happens after Williston and, and Nobles. Doesn't feel like anyone's going to touch them, at least during the regular season. Maybe Andover. Maybe Andover's that one team. Over in boys prep, again, similar thing, entering the final month of the season. I can't believe it's the final month of the season. Yeah. I was, when I was driving to, driving to some game recently, and I was like, man, like, nothing beats this time of year for hockey. Because, like, I, the spring festivals are great because it's after a couple weeks off, like a month off. So it's like, oh, it's great. Hockey's back. And then you get to the summer and they like the summer tournaments. You have select camp and that's fun. What's cool. A lot of top talent. You see how kids are progressing. And then there's fall. It's like, okay, this is a little more organized. And you have your different teams got the river rats and the junior Eagles and the Regals and all this stuff. And then prep comes around and it's like, this is the most intense hockey. Like this is what. I think kids care about the most. Same with high school MIA as well. So I'm like, I don't want this to end. This is, this is too much fun this time of year. So fortunately you and I have like two months left of this because it's prep, which will end in like first week of March. And then a will go through like mid to end of March, which will be good. So anyways, boys prep. So there's a lot of matchups over the next month that I think are going to determine Elite eight seedings. Um, so Kimball Union plays Holderness on Friday. I plan on going. It's at Holderness. Uh, so that'll be an interesting game. Again, those are the two best teams by far in the Lakes region. The two top offenses in the region, I think both have benefited a little bit from playing teams that have not been having great seasons. But at the same time, I think both are elite up front. They have a lot of veteran scores. They are, they both have legitimate number one and number two and number three defensemen, and they both have solid goaltending. So I'm excited to see what happens with that. Then they play again on February 10th at Kimball Union. So that will be an interesting kind of back-to-back week matchup to track. Again, right now I have KUA one, I have Holderness five. So, you know, if Holderness can win that game, that's big for rankings. They finally moves around the top five. And then Kimball Union plays Cushing. Twice in the month of February, Cushing plays Brunswick, I think like next week. So there are some inter top five matchups over the next month that I think will decide the Elite Eight. Because again, my top five has not, no team has moved out of the top five since the holiday tournaments because they've stayed pretty, pretty similar. One team I want to mention before we move on to kind of the bottom five and some of the teams outside of it is Brunswick. 
So Brunswick was my number one team last week. They went to the McPherson Challenge up at St. Andrews College. They lost three games in a row. So I dropped him down because they lost a couple games in a row. At the same time, though, and I think this is important to note. Now, they played they played Culver. They played BK. Oh, no, they played Culver. They played Victory Honda. They played Northwood. And they played the GOJHL U18, which is like a they put together like the top kids from a junior league and put them on a team. And they beat that team. So, again, they lost close games to Victory Honda, Northwood, and Culver. And I, to me, like, A, I give Brunswick props for challenging itself. Like, I think, to me, that's such a, a key thing. And I give every credit to Mike Kennedy, their head coach, for friend of the show, former guest yep. on the show. I give him credit and that program credit for going and challenging themselves and that and the Kevin Much tournament. There's all these tournaments they go do, and I think they get more exposure. And it also is probably going to prepare them better for the playoffs. So again, I, I have them at three right now. I'm curious to see how kind of playing those tougher teams benefits them uh, come the Elite Eight tournament, which I would assume they will be in. Outside of that, I want to highlight two Elite Eight sleeper teams. Two teams, I think, that might not be on people's radar as much as Brunswick and Cushing and Avon and KUA and Holderness. And that's St. George's and Phillips Andover. Uh, St. George's to me, since the beginning of the season, I, I don't know if I've said that, I might have said this before on the podcast. And if I have, I'm going to say it again. Um, preseason, I looked at them as a team. I had them in the top 10 and I said, they're a team that I think could make a real run at the Elite Eight because they're, they're solid everywhere. They're a little small on defense, but they're very mobile. They're quick. They're offensive. Nathan Walsh, Everett Baldwin, Marco Snurchia, they're fine on D. In net, you got Ryder Shea committed to Maine, Framingham guy, yeah. and, one of the top goalies in prep, uh, if not the top goalie in prep. And then up front, you have a lot of size with guys like Danny Buckley and Colin Walsh. You have some high-end skill like Max Donatelli, Ryan Staples. To me, that's a team that could make noise. And if they sneak into the Elite Eight as a seven or an eight seed, which I think as of right now, they, I think they are, that's a tough out. Like that's, if I was to pick my guess, and who knows, a lot can change between now and the end of February. But, you know, if I had like today, they're the seven seed according to USHR and they play Avon. Now Avon's a wagon, no, no doubt, but that's a close game. That's not an easy win for Avon. That won't be an easy game for Avon. I mean, I think St. George's could potentially win that game. So to me, I think St. George is a real Elite Eight sleeper in terms of they're in it right now, but I think they could make a lot of damage and make some noise. The other one would be Phillips Andover. Um, Braden Robertson Palmer, I think, is one of the best players in prep overall. They're just a team that they have older players. You have the, like, Ethan Skoronek, who's a senior, leads the team in points. Jake Ledoux, senior. Sam Miles, center, he's a senior, like, on D. Guys like Drew Smith and you have Zach Skronik, who's a junior on D. Um, and then in net, they've been splitting between Chase Anderson, who's a junior, and Ben Skronik, uh, who's a senior. I know the Skroniks are it's like Skronik City over at Phillips Andover. Uh, but those are two teams to me in Andover and St. George's that I think if they get in the Elite Eight, I think they could be tough outs. Because I always say seniors and higher end skill and kind of being good at every position. And I think those three teams or those two teams really embody that Salisbury's another one, but Salisbury's Salisbury. So like, I, I don't consider them to be a sleeper of anything. Like they're the Crimson Knights. We expect it. Yeah. So that's my, that's my spiel on elite eight sleeper teams. I think that could potentially make some noise. I want to mention one thing 
because the story just ran on Drew mm-hmm. Carr from St. Mark's coming back from cancer. It's interesting, Pat, and I think you'll agree with me on this. We get to do a lot of cool stories here. A lot of power rankings, standouts from games, takeaways, kind of watch lists, who's progressing. And those are fun stories to tell. We do it. We love doing that 100%. But when a story comes around like that, those are the stories. Those are the stories that, at least for me, get me out of bed. And it's like, all right, I want it. This is something I really want to do. And you feel almost like honored to do it, to tell it. And so it was a it was a pleasure doing that. Um, he's a Drew Carr's a freaking warrior, and props to him for overcoming what he was able to do. And to see that a lot of places around other prep schools in the area, kids shaving their heads, a lot of St. Marks. I think Andrew Gibbons had like sixty percent of the male population at St. Marks had a shaved head. So I, yeah, I in the story I wrote majority or like over fifty percent or something because I was like I don't know if that's an official stat, but it's close enough. So it was a fun story to tell and um, Drew Carr's an awesome kid. So yeah, that was great to do. That was great to do. Yeah, that was great to read this morning. Anyone who hasn't read it should definitely go check it out because Drew Carr, <laughs> just the the story alone, just the resilience, how he got through it and then to be back on the ice so soon and not only back on the ice, but actually playing and actually doing well um, yeah. as, a, as a major contributor for St. Mark's is really awesome to see. I thought you did a great job with that. Thank you. I mean, I was shocked at how his conditioning worked because I know he was going to captain's practice, I think, before the season started. And like he, he would, couldn't, couldn't get out of bed the next day because he was so tired. I mean, his body was depleted, wasn't yep. used to all this, all the wind and conditioning he'd, and muscle had built up. And to be able to get back on the ice. And what's funny is when I was at the St. Mark St. George's game, he got a breakaway. And I'm like, come on. Come on, go in. And it didn't go. It was a night. It was a nice chance. It was a good save by Ryder Shea, but he played well and he's been making an impact and they've been good ever since he's come back. And from talking to everybody there, he's, as Carl Corzini said, the heartbeat of the team. And like Andrew Gibbons was mentioning that he's someone that everybody loves. Can't say a bad word about him. He's sort of someone that he's like the model Saint Marker is kind of how Andrew Gibbons put it. So just to be able to. Entrance, entrench myself in that was phenomenal. And I'm so happy he's cancer free. That's the biggest thing. But to also see him thriving on the ice, I think is just so cool. So that is the boys prep segment of this show. And why don't we try today? We did like, we did, we did boys at my A, girls prep, boys prep, girls at my A. So we're switching it up a little bit today. So we'll finish with girls MIAA. I know that again, it's heading kind of into the final month. I mean, where are you at with, with the girls MIAA scene? Yeah, so the, I mean, the biggest thing now is like everybody's kind of every week watching the power rankings that the MIAA releases. And this week was, I thought, really interesting because Notre Dame Hingham was number one over St. Mm-hmm. Mary's in the D1 power rankings. Um, so, yeah, so going in, NDA was 8 2 and 2, um, St. Mary's 13 1 and 1. And NDA has had, I think, a tougher schedule, which is probably a huge contributor. But the biggest thing was last night, Malden Catholic beat NDA. Three to one. I um, saw that. Yeah. So that like, especially like plant the flag, not, Pat, plant the, plant the flag, plant the flag. <laughs> so like, not only is that just sort of like a big hit to NDA, especially a, as a team that has a lot of the success is founded in Avo Larkin and goal and Sarah Francis and everyone else on defense. Kind of interesting to see like MC who I thought was overwhelmed against St. Mary's then turn it around and flip the script on NDA, who is a team that is very good defensively. So like, that's interesting to see how NDA will sort of come out of that moving forward. 
But no, it's huge for MC too because they had hit quite a skid. I think they were like one, three, and two at the time of my last rankings in their last six games. But now they've ripped off two in a row. Big win over Canton. Big win over NDA. And so now they're going to be come next time I'm doing my rankings, depending on how they do the rest of this week, could be right back in the mix. And then elsewhere, when you look at like the D2 power ranking, it's no surprises. It's Duxbury um, mm-hmm. right there. But, you know, Falmouth is kind of right on their heels. 12-1-1 at the time of the rankings came out. Burlington right there, 10-1-1. Um, those are two teams that, you know, have been getting a lot of props in the rankings, especially last week. Falmouth jumped from 8-5, to five, Burlington from 7-4. to four. Could be even higher this week. Falmouth will probably leapfrog Burlington, assuming all goes well through this weekend. But, you know, the biggest thing, and we've talked about it with Falmouth before, is just sort of how it's a, a thinner roster, but how just explosive their offense is. 84 goals for, I, that's by far the most in the girls' MIA. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, St. Mary's, I, I believe it's St. Mary's is next behind them with 67, um, oh. 17 clear. And when you look at boys and girls, MIA, all of it together, Falmouth is third behind Sandwich and Diamond, I believe. But you go 97, 95, 84 for Falmouth with, again, a lot of freshmen on that team, thinner roster, I believe, off the top of my head, like 17 skaters. It's pretty thin. Wow. So for them to just be doing what they're doing is crazy. And I shouldn't say crazy, like they weren't going to be good anyways. Like Falmouth is always in the mix, but just for the way they've done it this year is really impressive. I was looking at Duxbury's schedule. I'm disappointed they don't play each other. I would have liked to have, to have read yeah. about that or just seen it because I think that would have been an interesting matchup in D2. I mean, Duxbury's a powerhouse at this point. I mean, it's long been a powerhouse. Dan and Jerry's doing a great job there. And then in Division One MC. Good to see MC coming back. It's, yeah. it's going to be music to your ears to see that. So you get to you get to be you get to wear MC proud today, which is which is good. Anyways, we have finished all of that. Now we get to the fun part, which David Yaz, our great producer, does so well. It's overtime. Overtime. Yes, welcome back to overtime. Our two panelists are prepared. Actually, they're not prepared at all. They have no idea what's coming. So typically, over time, I throw out three questions for each Evan and Pat, questions about hockey. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Imagine, if you will, that you are the coach of a celebrity hockey team, and you need to draft draft the ultimate celebrity hockey squad. And so we're going to deal with players who actually have a page – on EliteProspects.com. Oh! For our viewers who are watching us on YouTube, you'll see I've just put on the screen a list of 20 celebrities, most of which I recognize, some of which I don't. But they actually have played hockey in some capacity such that they actually have a page on Elite Prospects. So you're going to draft a team of three. Time permits us only as much. But, Evan, I'm going to let you go first. And so without further ado... You're on the podium with the first pick of the draft. With the first pick in the celebrities who played hockey draft, <laughs> Evan Marinovsky selects Paris Hilton, Canterbury wow. School. <laughs> wow. That's I, an she's, upset. She's That's a force. She's a force in front of the net. She can drive the net well. Uh, she's just she's all-around great player, <laughs> star. So we, we feel that she's going to be a real asset to our team. 
So uh, Paris so, Hilton, number one. It may come as a surprise to some that learn, in fact, yes, Paris Hilton played one year of high school hockey. That's right. my favorite thing. We tried last year. We tried to look into doing a story on that. I think oh, someone already that. did okay. it. Someone already did it. So when I was looking at this, I'm like, is Paris Hilton on there? I was hoping she wasn't, so I could go off the board. But <laughs> I'm glad I could get take her number one. All right, here we go with Pat's first pick. Well, we'd like to Pat. we'd like to thank New England Hockey Journal for all the hospitality here at the draft <laughs> this week. Great event as always. Second pick might be a little off the board. We're, we're going to select Jared Kiso. From oh, the Cardine Bulldogs. I love it. For those um, that don't know, Jared Kiso is the mastermind and the lead actor of the TV show Letterkenny. Are you a fan, Pat? I am I a fan. It? And then when they did the Shorzy spinoff, you see him a little bit on the ice. And that's right. Th- there's some talent there. And you get the snarl, you get the chirps, you get the comedic relief. No so. one can chirp better than Shorzy. That's for sure. Excellent. Now, we're about to begin the second round. So. I don't know if I'm changing the rules a little bit, but I, I guess I'll change the rules to say you can go off the board and pick someone who, a celebrity who plays hockey. But a lot of good ones remain on the board here. So, Evan, you're up. I will stick with this, and I will go with Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin's wow. a great one. He was actually a really good hockey player, so I think he's going to be someone. We're going we're gonna to put him on the wing with Paris, <laughs> and I think they're going to make a tr- tremendous line. I think we're really going to be an offensive powerhouse. So I'll take Tom Glavin. From Paris to Billerica, you might say. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> All right. End of the second round. Pat, you're on the clock. Second pick, we're going to take from Wisconsin, J.J. Watt. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> we're going, we want the size, we want the snarl, forechecking. And I've seen J- some videos of J.J. Watt in the ice. There's some talent there. Well, probably still in playing shape, only, what, a year removed from his... NFL yeah. days, so yeah. All right. All right then. The third and final round. Make the pick count, Evan. You're up. Well, we already have two forwards, so we need to do something different. And we want some personality in back. So I'm going Steve Carell and Nat. Uh hard oh, to beat that. I love it. With the ACHA and Dennison. Did someone Pat, you might know this. Did someone just do a story on Steve Carell playing college hockey? Yeah, I think it was Peter Baugh who covers the Avalanche for the Athletic. Um, yeah, did a story on Steve Carell's club hockey days. I um, yeah, I got to say, just saw that, and so it's just maybe we. I think maybe he'll. We could make him be Michael Scott full time. Yeah, not Steve Carell, <laughs> just be Michael Scott all the time and back. So I like that pick. Well, Evan, true to form, you are the editor of New England Hockey Journal, and you have two out of your three players have New England connections. Of course, Tom Tom Glavin, of course, from Billerica, and Steve Carell still spend some time in Marshfield. So. And Canterbury's Connecticut as well, so that's all three. Oh, that's right. Okay. I forgot Connecticut was still in New England. <laughs> that's um, right. <laughs> Pat, so Pat your, your final, this is Mr. or Ms. Irrelevant, the last pick in the draft. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, we need, need, need some uh, goaltending here. So with the third and final pick for my team, we're going to go with Keanu Reeves in that. Oh! You get... You get the Matrix sort of reaction (laughs) skills there, and you get like kind of you. You always want your goalie to have a little bit of psychopath in him, so you get that John Wick too. But Peter Check was a close second if you've ever seen him play soccer goalie. So okay, so yeah, there you go. But all right, so we will. I'll read the rosters for this celebrity hockey throwdown: Team Evan, Paris Hilton, Tom Glavin, and Steve Carell. Team Pat, Jared Kiso, J.J. Watt, and Keanu Reeves. And uh, it's a tie. 
because <laughs> no one likes a tie more than you hockey fans. So well done all, and I'll be back. I'll try to think of the next silly thing we can do in overtime in the next episode. But back to you, Evan. Great job. That was good. That was creative. Also, yeah, I did not fun. know. I didn't know Matt LeBlanc was Newton North. I, never I didn't knew. either. That I he yeah. almost made me go away from goalie there. Just to have a, a, a Newton North guy. Yeah, I did not realize that. My my other one I was going to pick was Avril Levine. Just yeah. good old 2000s music in the locker room. I think her and Paris would just be great chemistry on the ice. Well, we, we thought Skater Boy was about a, a skateboarding, right. skateboarding dude, but maybe it was about a hockey player. Who knows? I, maybe it was. Yeah. She's going to be on the team. We could that, That'll be the official team song, but maybe we'll pick her up in free agency. That'll be, mm. that'll be what we do, but... Yeah, fun stuff. Fun stuff as always. Uh, Yaz, thank you as always for your creativity. And Pat, what can we look forward to from from us over at New England Hockey Journal over the next week? Yeah, so we're going to be getting some of the magazine content that we had in the January-February issue, February issue up on the site. Next week, obviously, fresh rankings. We'll have more more for you. And the biggest thing I would say is stuff that's already on the site, especially your Drew Carr story. Everybody go, should go check that out. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, lots of stuff coming, stuff like that. And then a lot of like Elite Eight things and, and prep preview, prep playoff preview stories. Try saying that three times fast. But stuff like that that I think kind of forecasting what it's going to look like come the end of the month. So lots of stuff as always. And yeah, that's been this episode of Rinkwise. That's Pat Donnelly. I'm Evan Marinovsky. Produced by the great David Yaz. This is a Siemens Media production. We will see you next time.